0: Hello, mate. How are you? Good, mate. I was just calling because we're doing a podcast and it's, I guess, we're looking at teaching again, but this time it's like all about old school, like old print machines, all that kind of stuff.
1: Old school, huh? Funny you should say that. People think often when I speak to them that like Streamtime is uh, a startup. And actually, 2002, Streamtime started. 2002? So it's been around for wow. a long time. And in fact, let me have a look. I'm almost positive I've got like a, a box here somewhere. Here it is. So obviously, you know, people playing at home. <laughs> it really did it. come in a box. Streamline, it was called back then, by the way. And uh, it's even got like a... Oh, the old school CD. The old school CD. Nice. And some people still ask for this, makes me laugh. A manual.
0: See, I, mi- I missed cool. the manual. I never looked at them, but like it made me feel better having them.
1: Yep. The Streamline <laughs> Total Studio Management User Guide. Anyway, we've been around for a long time, I guess, was the point. And yeah. uh enjoy the rest of the podcast. I like, can't wait for it to come out.
0: That was Andy Wright, CEO of Streamtime, good friend and supporter of ADR. If you haven't tried out Streamtime before, make sure you do. You can get a free trial and a twenty percent discount by going to Streamtime.net forward slash ADR twenty twenty. Welcome to Australian Design Radio, a podcast that seeks to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. As part of that, we'd like to acknowledge traditional owners of country through Australia and recognise enduring connections to the land, knowledge and story. I'm recording this on Gundungara and Darug country, and I pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. I'm Matt Leach, and I'm your host. And on this episode, I'm joined by co-host Stephanie Foti, a design academic from Western Sydney University. This is part two in a series about what makes a great design teacher. And if you've heard part one, you know that Steph, after working in the industry for a decade, decided to give teaching a go. And this is where her question came from. What different types of teaching styles are out there that could show us a better way to engage design students? So after speaking to Frankie Ratford last episode, this time we're talking to Felix Oppen, co-owner of Taliqua Press and Taliqua Studio, from where, after teaching for many years in universities, he creates the award-winning Ligature Journal, using it as a chance to teach traditional printing skills to students and graduates. I've known Felix for a long time, as we both taught at Billy Blue together, and I've always admired how he went that extra mile with the students. He struck me as someone who really cared that the students understood what they were learning and were able to use the skills, always seeking a way to turn the knowledge into practice. So without further ado, let's get into it. We begin delving back into Felix's history to give a bit of context, and then Steph gets us back on track, focusing on what makes a great design teacher. So. As we started researching this, mm. I noticed that you originally studied inorganic chemistry for four years back in the 80s. Yeah. So what is that? <laughs> and how did it transfer to graphic design?
2: Ah, uh, how long have you got? No, I actually, <laughs> my father was an engineer and I actually started, although the ah. the, the um, CV doesn't really show it. Family I actually, business? No. He was a civil engineer. <laughs> I went to uni. Um, uh... And in fact, originally enrolled in chemical engineering, mm-hmm. didn't really enjoy it, and moved over into science, and finished off in an honours in in inorganic in chemistry. Still wasn't happy with what I, where where the future was. There were no real jobs for chemists in Australia apart from you know quality control. Mm-hmm. Went off, did an arts degree, and in fact, that's where I met. Kate, my partner,
0: I know. I was going to ask about that.
2: (laughs) And she was working at, I was, I did an arts, basically arts degree, again, marking time, looking for something to do. Yeah. She then got a job at the continuing education at University of Sydney and then was landed the job of doing their course brochure. Right. She said, fuck this, you're going to teach, I'm going to get you to pay for me to learn. And she, she went around and. She actually found the Billy Blue course and said, come along, you're not doing anything now. Let's go and enrol in that. And she got, she basically she got the uni Sydney Uni to pay for her to go to somewhere else no way. To, to learn. That's brilliant. Uh, and it sort of took off from there. And then...
0: So, okay, because you made it sound like I was a bit bored so I just went and did an art degree, but it was actually following a girl.
2: Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, basically. But it was. it's not so much that I was bored, it was just... I was really struggling to find a path. Yeah, my father was yeah, an engineer, and there was nothing particularly creative within the family. Although, subsequently, my you know, my sister, who's younger than me, went to art school, and my grandmother is actually was an artist in the nineteen twenties and stuff like this. But it wow. was just it is just sort of that generation before it had sort of left.
0: Because obviously, some of the things you would have been studying. Do you think you took some of that, and I don't know what it would be, but do you think you took any of that into design?
2: Um, if you were to ask me what makes, what is a creative co- profession, I would include professions like engineering and science in that because there's i mean if you think about it the form is there's a lot of similarities there's a lot of overlap you've got it mm-hmm. you're presented with a challenge particularly when you're working in industry you're presented with a challenge you research you design experiments in the case of science to test out and to solve that problem yeah so in many ways there's a there's a lot of overlap in that
0: I love that. I'd never really thought of it that way, but you're completely yeah, right. Yeah, and
2: so that the science and you know one of the things that sciences and in any any sort of fairly rigorous uh, profession requires is just a and a willingness to be open minded and learn and all of that sort of stuff, so that you know it's a question that has come up beforehand mm. um about what was the connection but there i i see it as part of a continuum you know there's it is part of what we uh, of what humans do in 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 that sort of creative process it's just the outcomes are a little bit different in some ways but they're all for the benefit or they're part of the human experience so yeah there's
3: yeah. we could see gone to billy blue mm. Graduated with a diploma, Mm -hmm. started Yellow Fork Design with your wife, Mm -hmm. but then you returned to study your master's at UTS. What brought you back to study, especially when you were working full-time and raising a family?
0: Just likes to be busy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, When we look at Billy Blue, um, I was there in 91 and 92, so right early on in Billy Blue days, relatively, very hands-on. Yeah drawing drafting pens you know yep. comping type with you know all of the, by hand all of that sort of stuff and mm-hmm. mark up boards and all pace boards and I all of that
0: Ross and Aaron just hanging
2: around Actually we I did the part time oh, the yeah. evening course cuz I was actually at that time working in Manly courthouse but that's a different different <laughs> story <laughs> that's a different podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um <coughs> really very much preparing their graduates for those junior positions that were already beginning to disappear. Yeah. Yep. At the end of the course, we had a whole three hours on a Macintosh.
3: Wow. <laughs>
2: so we basically learned how to turn it on and yep. open Photoshop and uh, Quark Express at that time. Yeah. At that time, when you graduated, you were able to des- you designed your own little identity which was then translated into a business card we designed them up by hand and then took them up to somebody up in Billy Blue Creative to actually turn into artwork for yes. us we didn't even get to do it ourselves I'm actually 30 by this stage we walk straight out of college and into our own business because I just thought here I am qualified to be a junior yeah mm. I'm too old to be paid <laughs> a junior's <laughs> wages what do I do yep. I go and start my own business yep. of course we bought some computers and did one close. job old style and then everything else was there but i really felt that moving that that process left me with a an intellectual deficit yeah. very practical skills could you know i can st- probably still work a ruling pen if i have to that intellectual side of it was largely missing from it and it's not it's a it was a diploma course yep. so then going back to do the masters was the to build out that that yeah. intellectual side of it
1: it
0: makes perfect sense and, and in some ways is the kind of the best of both worlds because yeah. I, I went to billy blue as well yeah. as everyone knows i had the same feeling leaving there and, and yeah. i did two years i did the advanced diploma and and even right. at the end of that i was like i i know how to do everything but i don't know why mm. i'm doing everything mm. which mm. i guess is the is the opposite for you Because you went through university... Yeah,
3: so I had a... So, my degree was four years. Mm. I thought that I learnt design to its capacity until I started my first job in publishing and (laughs) I actually don't know InDesign. (laughs) Uh, So, the first week working um, in publishing, I learnt the program inside out. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I think tertiary courses have changed a little bit in that respect. They've tried to balance things a bit. Yeah. But...
3: So, Felix, can you tell us more about Taliqua Studio and Taliqua Press? How are they linked apart from the name?
2: <laughs> Just for the record, the Taliqua is the Latin name for Blue Tongue, which is why uh, we've got the the, 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 the lizard. Yeah. That was my next question. <laughs> <laughs> we had intended to um, call the studio Blue Tongue, but that beer company had uh, right. registered it across absolutely everything, even parts of the business spectrum that they weren't involved in, so it wasn't available, so we just cheated and called it Blue Tongue <laughs> by another name. <laughs> um, in a way, that's the only link there is. Okay. I mean, I was with, the studio came first, Taliqua, yeah, Taliqua Studio, and then it was just easy just to keep the, the publishing company with the same name.
0: Why have it separate as a different business?
2: Well, the original intention with the studio was to have it as me running a co workspace space up upstairs mm. and my partner having artists downstairs. So we wanted to keep it separate in that way. Yeah. It was even more complicated. that. So when, I, when we first moved in here, I was actually – my design company was called Long, L-A-N-G-U-E, French for tongue. Right. Hence the blue tongue. Um, there's a theme. There's yeah. a theme there, <laughs> colours and, 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 and theme. Telequa Studio was a, a business name registered to Long, my design company, and, so, and that was the design practice. The publishing arm was then something separate. Basically, accountants recommended it because if the publishing company took off, it became a, a business entity that we could sell. Right, mm. gotcha. And uh, so it was all – it's basically – an accounting yeah. thing. But <laughs> then I closed down long because I was spending most of my time doing the publishing stuff yeah. and they transferred the, the studio, the business name, Taliqua Studio, over to Taliqua Press and it was, that's it. You know, it's it's not really very exciting at all. It's just, <laughs> it's just business stuff. <laughs> the sorts of things that accountants recommend and then you go, oh yeah, okay. And it doesn't, you know,
0: We had a look around before we started recording Mm. And you've got an amazing space Both upstairs and downstairs Mm. But downstairs you've got loads of Interesting kind of presses and machines And lots and lots of metal type And wood type Mm. Did you just start buying stuff And then couldn't stop (laughs) Which is something I hear a lot about Yeah um,
2: (laughs) Downstairs being an artist studio To start with Because my wife went off Did printmaking at NAS, uh, national art school sorry and uh so that in the background there when we were walking around is a etching press yeah so we bought that for her to work with and kids got in the way and stuff like that so and she's moved more into drawing now but so that was that side of things the letter press was just something that i'd been interested in as uh and in fact my first very first experience of letterpress was actually in high school where the school that i went to had Oh, wow. A Heidelberg, one of the black really? windmills. Wow. That's amazing. Um, this is in the 1970s. Every school had them then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, not, possibly not, but these guys did and they printed little, little things. They only had Reflex Blue because that yeah. was closest mm. <laughs> to the school colour. <laughs> right. And um, I sort of was interested in it and doing the, the firstly at Billy Blue and then later on becoming interested in in type and typography and stuff like this i just sort of then i had the space opportunity came up i um through lawrence finn down in melbourne posted something somewhere saying that there was a press going for for sale up in the up in the blue mountains yep. and i contacted them and bought this stuff and now we've got Ninety cases of metal type, wow, and a a proofing press that was built in the early seventies and works fine, and then since then, I've added some wood type to the collection as well, and yeah, it's just something it's it changes the way that you think about type and and, and stuff
0: like that you are so right, just you know when you know how the type was originally done,
2: mm.
0: as soon as you get back on the computer and you look at type. You see it in a different way Mm. and I think the possibilities you sort of understand Mm. it's a shame that more students can't experience that yeah and I and I guess that for you that's where internships and I guess getting students into the studio
2: especially in the last
0: little while so this is a good time I guess to talk about the good journal for which I should congratulate you because you got you got many many Kind of merits for yeah, of the yeah. recent Agda awards, yeah,
2: which is I'm still astounded at because I mean, how long has it been since a magazine has picked up anything tr- other? True, <laughs> that's
0: true. <laughs> I mean, Ligature Journal is quite a different magazine. Mm. It's very much conceptual magazine. Tell us more about how it sort of came about. Okay,
2: so it started off, in fact, in response to the end of Be Between. Yes, because they got to Just issue my baby. Yes. Originally. yes, yes. So that I was at Billy Blue teaching. I'd seen Issue 6 being sort of coming, being built and then thought, I want to get involved in this. Um, And they started on Issue 7 and that got to just before going to print when it was canned.
0: Oh, right. I never realised that. It never
2: got printed. Um, But it was, yeah, it was finished off and ready to go and then it got, the budget got reallocated. Um, And for everyone who doesn't know, so Be Between was
0: a journal about a question about Australian design somewhere Mm. and it was written and designed and produced and everything by the students, Mm. basically. Mm.
2: So I missed out on that and then thought, look, looking around at the time, I was still at Believe Blue, this is 2014 actually. took nearly 18 months to get that first issue out looking around at the changes that were happening not just at Billy Blue but across the board where there were teaching was being contracted and yep. the space for long form editorial type of design there just wasn't the space for it anymore yep. so i thought bugger this i want to i've always wanted to you know produce a magazine i will sort of just do it and i spoke to people at Billy Blue we worked it into their course structure for a while for the first three four issues and again there were more changes and it really didn't fit so I moved it out into an internship program so that from issue four it was happened here and it was it's basically a teaching thing Mm. I then the process is we start with a blank book every time there's a new grid new color palette, new type palette oh, wow. developed every single time. Yeah. We find the content, they lay it out, so and we go through, they do the pre-press, and we take them to the printer at the end. So it's printed in Sydney, which has its own challenges financially, yeah. um, but, you know, it's important. So basically, yeah, it's a day in the st- design studio where they get – usually I sort of try and scare the bejesus out of them and say, <laughs> all right, you've come into this project – what I'm expecting of you is probably what you would start to see as a senior designer in about five to ten years' time. But yeah. you haven't graduated but and you're going to do it. And it's sort of grown from there and every issue has has improved. I've mean, I learned a lot from the students yeah. in just being able to, being prepared to take risks. The one unfortunate thing of my science background is that I'm Tended to be a little bit, little bit risk risk averse. <laughs> um, so you know, it's it's a process of me limbering up as much as, yep. as as they as them, and we take three or four months to produce it. We find all the content, or we we tend, to, I find the content or write it and stuff like this. And we're looking at finding practicing designers to write for us. Most of them supply the words only. Yep. And then the students or the interns rather have to, you know, do what designers do, respond to the text, mm. design it.
3: So what kind of content would you expect to see in an issue?
2: All right. One of the things that uh, – one of the other things about the magazine is that I really dislike this idea of the the niche. Mm. You know, as designers, we should be open to everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have in the – conceptual part of the magazine broken the industry into four areas. Spatial so architecture that sort of thing. Product obviously communications and experience. I mean if you think of them as four sort of clouds or balls or something like this there's a big it's like a three dimensional Venn diagram. There's a huge overlap. An architect might need wayfinding so he comes to a communication designer that sort of thing you know so that it's not they're not sort of silos by any means. And so what, we'd, what we try and do is get at least a couple of these different things into each issue. Each issue has a theme. The last three, for instance, were unusually um, they were linked m- much more closely on design and place. We have some meta themes of mind, body and soul. So mind being sort of an intellectual approach, yep. body practical yep. and soul, the philosophical psychological side of things so we there's a as usually this series of meta themes roll, they keep recurring um and then the individual themes happen so you know issue one issues there was an issue zero just to see if we could get it make it happen (laughs) um then issue one was i can't remember now anyway it's a long time ago issue two was definitely designed for good you know then there was one on disruption simplicity so they really tend to be single word themes, mm-hmm. very, very broad to, to allow scope. And we normally get, when we talk to people and say, write about this, they go, holy shit, this is too, you know, this is huge. And I say, well, take a position, say something that's important to you. Um, so it's really about trying to get practitioners educators to write something thoughtful about the thinking that goes into design, not design thinking per se, but that that intellectual approach and how they address certain themes with the, that come up within so design.
0: I mean, it's an interesting, because you're, you're teaching the interns, the students, how to actually make this thing, mm-hmm. so you've got the sort of general design, but then it's also... I guess, traditional tools as well. But then they're also reading the words and understanding the words, which yeah. is also teaching them. Yeah. So that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So it's kind of like three different ways they kind of, which is what you just explained before.
2: Yeah. And yeah. that's why it's called ligature because right. it's about linkages in different ways between nice. different things. So, yeah. The penny drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it, it makes for a lot of work but it's generally a really um, enjoyable process. So where, where did this, this need to teach come from? <sighs> Good question. Once I completed the master's and I just got out of this business relationship with somebody that really was, well, it was a learning exercise of its own kind. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I was feeling kind of, I just didn't want to go out and, start up i did start up a new design practice but i didn't want to make that the only thing Mm -hmm. and lissa who'd been my um, supervisor for my master said oh you know i'm working at billy blue i'll see if i can get your class there and she was also at uts and they're looking for somebody to teach pre-press and i just walked into it and sort of from day one thought this is fantastic (laughs) you know and it's it's not that it's not like it was easy the the uts course the pre-press course the person before me who had left had taken all their notes mm-hmm. so i had i was handed a three-page course outline <laughs> and said go for it yeah. so i was i spent the first semester teaching writing one class and teaching the one beforehand you know just yeah. going through yeah. completely seat of the seat of the pants kind of thing fantastic and i just enjoyed it ever since i
0: remember that feeling so much as well i remember Doing my first class and going, wow! Like yeah. you can get paid for this, and <laughs> so it, it was just so much fun.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was 2008, and then I really upped it in the end, in the beginning of 2012, because we, well, we were badly affected by that that second GFC, the 2011 one. So I just went, give me anything you can. I yeah. won't say no. And that was again, you know, here, have a teach this, teach that. So I just started teaching anything that came along. Minimal amount of preparation time, just, I guess I can bullshit very well. (laughs) But no, you know, when it comes down to it, I reckon about 75% of teaching is, and teaching design in particular, is just common sense. If you stop and think a bit, that's what it is, you know. Mm. And listening to students ask, you know, they ask questions. And if you don't know it, you go and look it up. and come back the next week or if you do or you draw on experience and again if you're going to talk about breadth of experience the wider that you have and you know that idea of just being a bit of a magpie that comes from a diverse educational history just gives you stuff to draw on and make connections and stuff like that
0: i remember going into a class where there was no lesson plan or anything Mm. i'd been told five minutes beforehand that i was Mm. teaching it and i kind of looked at a mentor of mine and said, what would I do? And he mm-hmm. said, just ask the students why. <laughs> <laughs> so anything that came up, I was like, I said, why? why do you think that? <laughs> yeah, That <It> was great. <laughs> yeah.
2: But it's also, you know, then and that gives you – and that then creates a, a plan of sorts because yeah. then you go, okay, then this – it's either you, what they've said is okay, you agree with it and yep. then you can elaborate on it or if it's they don't know why, it gives you that <laughs> – <laughs> a critical thirty seconds to come up with an answer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and finds and, and and if you've got any, even a few years of, of ex, actual experience, there's plenty to draw on.
0: And that works fine for theoretical stuff, but then when you're in front of a printing press, <laughs> yeah, it's this way or, or no way. Really. That's right. right.
2: That's right. And in, in in some ways, it's a little bit the same with um, knowing the software is important and knowing that in, end of process, and that's yeah. what. We are big on, I mean, we spend out of the process. we spend nearly two weeks just on the pre press here, going through checking it again, right. checking everything, going through you know, I've got this checklist of thirty questions that they have to ask that just takes them through you know each stage and each kind of file type and saying and then and reading it and using the spell checkers and all of that sort of stuff, and going okay this is this is what it is." We get the proofs back. This is what you're getting. This is where it starts getting expensive. And that's a learned experience. That's
0: like they're that's actually right. in it and doing it, which is, yeah, it's hard to do that in a big lecture theatre.
3: Yeah. So my classes are usually capped at about 28 students. Mm. Um, so it's sometimes a little difficult to get around and sit with students one on one. Yeah. Um, so smaller classes are always beneficial. But yeah, well, speaking of experience, I always find teaching a design opportunity for myself Mm. so creating an experience for students in the classroom you're definitely learning a lot of things yourself
2: well one of the great things about having to explain what you know is it becomes the proof of whether you actually understand it that's (laughs) the students
0: asking you why yeah that's right effectively
2: (laughs) and that's what it is to be able to pin down what I've actually learned I would say I couldn't Necessarily, but I have definitely become a better designer as a result yeah. of just being challenged all the time. Yeah. Um, and being challenged in a, a learning context is quite different to being challenged by a client. The clients, well, they know what they like or the, they know what they don't like. They know their business, and that can be a, a learning experience in itself. But in terms of design, you're the expert. and they don't challenge necessarily challenge you in in the ways that a student might. That process of learning how to explain something yes. in different ways, you know, approach which is very much a design thing, you know, yep. looking at this yeah. problem different angles, okay, then I've got this concept. These students just don't get it. How can I rephrase that? How can and out of that comes that depth of mm. approach to whatever that problem was. That's probably the biggest thing mm-hmm. and it that's across the board, you know. I know more about branding than I ever did because of the fact that I taught it for a while. I know a hell of a lot more about typography because I taught it, yep. you know. I've used type all my career and but it wasn't until I actually taught, had to teach students how to create typefaces that I actually looked at it with the degree of detail that's necessary to explain how an X is put together, for instance. Yeah, yeah. It just pervades everything. Everything that you teach, you you learn something. That's, and you can teach the same subject over and over and still come out each, at the end of each cycle.
0: Learning something new. Yeah, learning something so new. So like based on that, would you encourage designers to teach at some point in their career?
2: Yeah, I think it, it's worthwhile giving it a go. Mm. I know that not everybody has the personality for it. It can be very frustrating. You do need to have to start with a certain degree of confidence, confidence in you in you, what you know, rather than the self confident. Yes, anybody can, not everybody, but I've seen some of them, sort you know, people that are sort of professionally quite meek and quiet and stuff like this. But you put them in, but they have, they can still get out there and and teach.
0: Yeah, it, it is a bit of a show. Like you need to keep them engaged. Yeah. And find yeah. their interest, yeah, yeah. and I guess ignite their mm-hmm. passion.
2: Well, it's you demonstrating your own passion. Yes, and that's the thing. If you've got the passion for it, give it. A, yeah, give teaching a go. Yeah, it is. It's unfortunate that in this country, across the board, teaching is not a valued pr- profession. There is a financial cost to it. If you're, you know, from coming from a fairly senior position within a design practice. Yeah, but. There's something about that energy that you get from people that are interested in learning. Yeah. yeah. And it may, you know, to be brutally honest, it may only be one or two students in a class. And then there's that beautiful moment where you see a student go from really struggling yeah. and then something clicks
3: yeah.
1: yes.
2: and they just take off. Yes. Yeah. And it may only happen once a year if you're lucky, yeah. you mm. know, with one student, but it just makes the whole thing worthwhile.
3: It's so rewarding. Mm.
2: And it's, it's interesting because you start building up context with the students. See so we have, as part as with the Ligature Journal, I actually have a part-time employee. Both of them worked on the magazine. Both of them I taught beforehand. Mm. And, you know, yesterday I was in Pinch Press, the Rhizo printing place, and another student walked in. Yeah, my new boss. He's an ex-student of mine. Oh,
3: really? Yeah. How funny is that? That's <laughs> wonderful.
0: <laughs>
2: How do you feel?
0: Wonderful. Yeah? It's, it's just she was always a great student anyway. Mm. One of those students you kind of go, kinda go yeah, I don't know whether you need to be here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's just, you know, having had that relationship before so we mm. can talk very openly and frankly mm. about things, which is mm. really good. Mm-hmm.
2: So. I don't know. There's something a bit different about maybe there is something about people that really enjoy teaching as well.
0: Yeah. And I i was never a, a sage on the stage sort of lecturer. I hated that. And I know, Steph, you're not that mm. either. I, I wanted to be the meddler in the middle. I wanted mm. to be with them and learning things with them and, mm. and testing things and going, oh, that didn't work. Why mm. didn't that work? Mm. And i ask him why all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: I don't. Yeah. We all have our, our different ways of doing that
0: what's your way of teaching
2: um
3: what are some your techniques
2: <laughs> probably my most unfortunate thing is that i can talk for four hours straight <laughs> <laughs> especially about something that's in so i have to physically restrain myself from actually taking too much but again it's getting in there and getting into that face to face and yep. getting down and getting i really love those four-hour classes yeah. at billy blue that sort of studio style or atelier style of teaching
0: peaks and troughs
2: yeah but it gave you time there was this time to actually get them to do something and complete something yep or get through the process so that you could then go and talk to them and that is probably the biggest problem that i see with contemporary teaching the classes are too short if you've got a Mm -hmm. class of 24 in a three-hour class you get five minutes per student
3: yeah. well that's the thing I've got 28 students in an hour so how yeah. yeah. do you do you, you don't you get
2: two you just, minutes per impossible. student and then yeah. you've got it. and that's after well that's before you actually have, give them any information
3: so I get a lot of emails <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is hard yeah.
2: written, written feedback and is, is hard something
3: mm. that stood out for me on the Telequa Press website is print is not dead long live digital <laughs> could you elaborate on that for us
2: Look, both have their place. I think there is something about print. There's a sense that print is a static medium, which is complete bullshit. What I love about print is that it is a time-based medium that you control the time, Mm. unlike a video or something like this. Well, yes, you can watch it at double speed now and stuff like this. But, you know, you can read it. um, And this is one of the things that I love about a magazine is that, I reckon there are about five or six ways you can read a magazine, you know, picking it up, just looking at it, smelling it, then flicking through and looking at the pictures and reading the headlines and the pull quotes and then just getting into it and reading the articles out of order and stuff like this. Something that's much harder to do online, you're you you you're left to somebody else's pacing. So that there's there's a real place for a lot of print. What there isn't space for is the throwaway stuff, mm. um, yes. which is where the digital world is suited because it can disappear. I mean, let's face it also, there's, um there's, there's a cost that's hidden in digital um, in terms of energy. And um, if you've, anybody's been following the, the things about the NFTs and, mm-hmm. and Bitcoin and stuff like this, yep. um, they're starting to work out how much it actually costs to run these things. And it's, enormous. Mm. In that respect, in fact, a lot of print is actually very cost efficient because once it's produced, the energy input is tiny. They both have their place. I'm not a purist about print. I love print and I love doing it. I decided a long time ago that I couldn't do both. I tried. Yeah, and just there's an experience to print that I like. I agree. the one thing that really gets me is that once you switch off your computer, technically what you've done doesn't exist.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: you know, whereas a book is there. You know, you mm. print. You know that 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 textbook. You know, it's still sitting there on the shelf. I can look up it. I don't look at it every day. Yeah, but I know that it's there. I can go and get it. How many times have you been to somewhere, looked up something online, yeah. got, and then gone back to get it, it, and then it's disappeared? <laughs> yeah, there's a four oh four, or you, you just can't remember what <laughs> yeah. the link was, and yeah. So it's just an acknowledgement that there's there's place for both, really.
0: So speaking of which, is there going to be another ligature magazine? There's
2: one in the process at the moment. Mm-hmm. We're trying something really special in that we're deconstructing the magazine. It's been a process of moving from a very conventional approach and just relaxing into it and just pushing and seeing where we can, how we can take it and still call it a magazine. Because again, there's a, there's a place in the world for magazines and it just needs to be experimented with again. We need to revisit it and that's what we're trying to do.
0: If you want to find out more about Felix, Taliqua and Ligature Journal, go to deliquapress.com that's t-i-l-i-q-u-a press there you can find the journals to buy artwork and a blog if you want to know more about the journal go to ligaturejournal.com we'll make sure there's plenty of links in our show notes thanks so much for tuning in again you may have noticed some new music on this episode we finally had time to get it done right by a professional so a big shout out to alex salter from gray area sound who managed to turn my mashup into a real song with real instruments it's amazing Any questions or feedback, get us at hello at ozdesignradio.com. And if you like what you heard, please tell others. Next episode, we're talking to Nikki Ragg, Chair of Communication Design at Swinburne University of Technology. Nikki has been involved in design education for over 20 years. So she's the go-to person if you want to know what the future holds for design teaching. Australian Design Radio is produced by me, Matt Leach, with digital advice and general meme suggestions from Braden Towns. Music by Alex Salter from Gray Area Sound. Thanks everyone, see you next time.